today, I had the total honour of speaking to Dame Mary Perkins, the co-founder of Specsavers. Dame Mary is very kind, generous and gloriously down to earth. And she's worked so hard to put customers at the very heart of her brand. 2,700 stores across the UK, Ireland, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Finland, Spain, Australia and New Zealand. You know, Specsavers is a global brand and so I just couldn't wait to hit all about the ethos and how she retains the company's culture, I suppose, you know, as it grows and where this incredible story began. She's aged 77 and Dame Mary still remains very much part of the business and her passion, drive, championship of new talent is just brighter than ever. She's a pioneering woman And it's women like Dame Mary who have paved the way for us all. So sit back and enjoy. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. Where we're going, you won't need to bring your frown. I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street from my kitchen table. And since then, I've gone on to launch Holly & Co., I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses, and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to Dell Technologies, who've helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Hello, Mary. What an absolute pleasure and honour it is to be speaking to you today. I've just mentioned that your lovely face has been cut out on my wall. I have a podcast dream guest wall and your face has been there for about a year and a half. So this is a huge honour for me to speak to you today and about your story of Specsavers. So thank you for coming on to my podcast. It's a delight. It's um, an unusual way of holding a conversation, but nevertheless, very pleasurable. Lovely to meet you, Holly. Well, lovely to speak to you. So I read when researching you for this podcast that you were inspired by your father, who was an optician, and you were only one of two girls who took A-level science at school. Were you always one to break away from the stereotype? Were you that type of child? And what sort of led you towards this chosen career? Well, you're quite right. After the war, when uh, we're going a long way back now, aren't we? Um, when people came out of the services, there was a lot of um, shuffling around and whether there should be a new career for people and training and all that sort of thing. And that's when the health service came in um, back in what was right. that, 48, 49. And there weren't enough um, optometrists, ophthalmic opticians, as they were called then, to test people's eyes. And of course, all the sight tests were free. Yes. And I can see you're wearing glasses as well, Holly. Yes. And I am. And all glasses were free. So you can imagine you had a few million people all of a sudden wanting to see an optician. So they set up special training programs to train quite a lot of people from the services, in fact. And that's what he did. So that's when he became an optician. It would have been about well, 1951-ish, round about then. So I sort of grew up with that, really. And mm. um, it seemed quite a nice career. But of course, in order to do that, to get to university, which you had to do by the time I sort of was at school, you had to have A-level science. And quite frankly, Holly, girls did not do A-level science back in the 50s. So what gave you that bravery? You obviously spoke about it around your kitchen table with your dad. Do you know what I mean? You were brought up with this. So was it quite natural, like, oh, well, I have to do science. I know no one else is doing it, but I just have to do it. Or was there, you know, a stigma attached to it? I don't think there was a stigma. It's just that if I wanted to go to, I went to Cardiff University, and uh, if I wanted to go, that was one of the universities that did visual science, I had to get A-level sciences. If I'd had a choice, say my father hadn't been an optician, Mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't be. I loved reading books, so I could have been a librarian. 
I loved little babies, maternity nurse maybe, yes, yes, I'd, I'd like to have done that. Um, all those sorts of things, I probably would not have been an optician or an optometrist. But these things are fate, aren't they? It's meant to be. Yes. I wasn't very good at science, I have to admit. I didn't have whacking high marks in the A-levels. I, you know, I, I've got to be honest about that. But, but you I, got through. I passed enough to get into Cardiff University. And, uh, and the rest is sort of history. There we are. Well, we're going to come back to that point. But I, I just wanted to take a moment also to say, I know you're an absolutely huge advocate um, of women in business and encouraging females who are up and coming. You're the patron of every woman who launched their female entrepreneurs hub, which builds on the recommendations of the Rose Review, for instance, with the aim of trying to close this entrepreneurial gender gap. And you've also mentored many young business graduates to ensure that these women have the skills to succeed. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges facing women entrepreneurs today? And I don't know what you feel about the imposter syndrome, <laughs> uh, but it would be great to know your point of view. Well, do you know, it is changing, Holly. It is changing. I've noticed over the last, say, 10 years, each year, it does get better. And I don't think it's so difficult now for women to sort of, I think it depends on which profession you're in. Yes. I live in Guernsey. I've lived here for 41 years. Yes, a long time. My parents lived here before me. That's that's why I'm here. And um, there's a lot of finance stuff goes on here. And I'm being very delicate yes. here. And yes. a lot of banking <laughs> and finance. And do you know, that probably is a little bit more difficult for women to get into. That being said, I've noticed a change. I sort of read the local paper here and you can see that young females are coming on, they become a director or a, or of a big finance company or whatever. So it is changing. So I'm not so worried about it now, but I still feel we need to sort of give that little bit of a leg up and a little bit of a, a, a push and a, and a hand-holding um, still for Probably a few more years, but it's a lot, lot better, a lot better. But funny you, you should mention about the imposter syndrome. Yes, I always felt that quite strongly. Do you know, I think that's fe that's going out a bit now, thank goodness. What, that you were going to be found out? Yes, you know, what, what am I doing here? Is all, all these people are waiting for me to say something or, or to stand up at a big seminar and say something. Oh, they're going to listen to me, really? I think as you get older and you've been in a business... You get rid of that. I don't feel that now, but I did in the beginning. Do you think that that's what it is? Because I mentioned it to someone saying, I think I mentioned it last week, that I think potentially the imposter syndrome maybe stays with us always a little bit. But as we sort of go through a business, you've been running Specsavers 40 Years, am I right in saying that? Yeah, 1984, so not quite 40 years, but uh, I had another business before. Yes, that so, well, so so you've been yeah. in business 40 yes, years. Yes, yes. You know, you've earned your stripes. You know, you, you you even you've got to say to yourself, "Well, I must know something in that time." You know, so potentially <laughs> it's with wisdom and length of service that you're able to deal with it. But I'm interested when I was researching you and I read articles that had been written. So you've part of the Every Woman Club, okay? And you mentioned, and I'm so fascinated about this, when you read the headlines, don't you? And it's all about, you know, there's not enough female chief executives and that sort of seems to be the headline people like to talk about. And what was so interesting is you said, we came to the conclusion that not all women want to get to the top of the board. They want to reach a certain level with a fantastic job, but with time for family and life outside a business, being at the top is not always the best position to be. And that maybe women that you were speaking to weren't terribly concerned about it. Talk to me more about that. I think that's very true. Um, you know, they may be doing a job they absolutely adore and there may be another step up the ladder and another a direction, a sideways move and then upwards again. It may not be what they want. They may love the job that they're doing and they do it very well and bring on people under them. I think it's very important for succession planning as well and bringing people on um, that, that are in your team. I'm sure there's quite a few... I mean, there's no figures on this and I don't know that anybody would answer it honestly, but I really feel there's a lot of ladies, females, 
what are we going to call them? Yes, yeah. <laughs> People like myself who probably love their job and are quite happy where they are because they've got that life balance. They've got fun, maybe some fascinating hobby outside of the family um, and things they do. They might be running, playing tennis. Let's say playing tennis. They might be doing all sorts of things, mm. liking to travel and, and all these sort of things, but they love their job and they've no desire to get to the top of that company and run that company or whatever. That being said, if that's what they want to do and they're capable, and in my mind, I never separate out uh, male and female. It's whether that person is able to do that job. So I have to say this, and probably you'll get all sorts of funny letters written to you, Holly, or maybe I will. It's whether the person can do that job. It doesn't matter you say, oh, we must put a female there. We must have a female mm-hmm. in, into that mm-hmm. position. Uh, we must mm-hmm. have a female. It might not be the right person. They may be very lucky and have a female who can do it. Yes. But you can't put a figure on it, yeah. I don't yeah. think. Yeah. And to be honest, would you want to be put onto a board in some position just because you are a female? I, I mean, that's where I would feel very uncomfortable, sat round a table, knowing I've been put there just because I was a female. Absolutely. To boost the numbers up, that would make me feel really weird. One of the things that came out of when you were looking at this, it, um, some of the quotes were, we're really running the company. We're talking about women who might not be going to that top job. And all they are doing is answering to shareholders and stock market. And that's the last <laughs> job that they want. You know, and so, and I think that what's interesting and just, I have not had this conversation with anybody. And I think it's an important one because I do think that we can, a little bit like anything, we keep reading potentially the top of the headline and we keep just hearing the same thing. And why it's interesting, the listeners today, Mary, are people who dream about starting a small business, people who support small businesses or people who run small businesses. And I think the interesting thing here is, is that they can rise to the top. (laughs) You know, they are the founder of their business. They're not answering to anyone that they don't want to answer to. And potentially that is the route that allows them to be authentically at the top of their game, rather than, let's say, trying to fit into something that was designed potentially not to fit around their lifestyles. You know, they balance their family, their health, their wellness with profit, ambition and growing a team. Now, I think that's brilliant. And I think the main point of everybody you're talking about there is they have the passion. There's the passion there. I'm sorry, men, if you're listening, but somebody who gets to the top, you're quite right, they're probably answering to shareholders, the stock market or whatever. Their passion might be slightly different. They might think they've got the passion, but it's quite different to the passion that the ladies that we're talking about, the companies we're talking about. Life is short. Mm. (laughs) So let's have fun. Let's be happy with what we're doing and feeling that we're making a difference with whatever we're doing. That's what I always feel. Am I making a difference to people? Have I got the passion? Am I happy? Do I love going into work each day? Um, All these sort of things count for something. Let's go back to your story because you seem to have always challenged the status quo and your business is no different, you know, even down to the fact, and I love this, um, you're the first person I've interviewed that created their business on the table tennis table in the (laughs) spare room. So I have a lot of people who start their businesses on the kitchen table, right? But this is the first table tennis table. Specsavers offers this amazing service um, to so many in the community. And I've heard you say that customers have always been at the absolute heart of it, which, you know, people might go, yeah, of course, but actually, isn't it so easy to remove the customer from the business? You know, I've seen many businesses fail because they slightly forget what they're actually doing. Was the ethos built into the business right from the start? Yeah, well, um, I did say earlier that I had a business before Specsavers, being an optician, an optometrist. uh, As soon as, um, when you leave university, you do a, what they call a pre-registered year, and then you take your professional exams, and then you're you're out on the public, so to speak. And um, so I I would have started um, 1965, yeah, 65 when I qualified, and I started with my husband, who I met at university. So we had um, just like an independent optician mm-hmm. would be. So we were always very close to the customers. Yes, yes. So did that up until 1980 when we did have a small chain 
then, not, not, I'm going to explain the difference when I say small chain is different to what we have now, which we sold to a pharmaceutical company who were going to sort of expand that right across the country. So we'd always been very close to customers. That, to me, is really the important thing. Mm. With Specsavers, we wanted to be able to copy what we'd done previously. In other words, being very close to the customer. So we we had to come up with a different method, a different business model, which is a, a partnership, a joint venture partnership. A little bit different to a franchise. It's not the same um, because we are in partnership with all the different optometrists that are in the country working or owning Specsavers. So each Specsavers store is a joint venture partner. And in that store, there may be two or three or even four directors owning that store and they're the optometrists or the dispensing mm-hmm. optician or even a retailer. We like to have retailers. Yeah, Those are the people out on the floor knowing what's going on. So everyone is a joint venture partnership and that we've done that in every country that we're in. So I don't actually own them. I'm just in partnership with the other optometrists. There. How interesting. And so that means they're very close to the customer. If you own, just, let's forget the optics bit a minute, you own that store and it's your store, you're going to be, and I hate to say it, but you're going to be extra nice, aren't you? <laughs> uh, to people, people coming in through the door, I always say the customer is your best friend. And how would you treat your best friend? Well, we all know how we would treat our best friends. And therefore, the customer is your best friend. So if you're owning that store, that makes a huge difference. So every single Specsavers store is a joint venture partnership. We're working with our partners at Dell Technologies to empower small businesses across the UK with the tools and knowledge they need to thrive. Every week, we bring you the Small Business Pharmacy Live to help you navigate your business journey, covering a huge range of topics. Here I am talking to Sophie Ella, who is just starting her business journey about the importance of being confident to find and perfect your USP. How do we cancel out the noise of other businesses or similar businesses in the same space? And by noise, I mean starting the journey. I am now being thrown by the sort of the algorithms of social media, similar businesses or businesses with a similar idea, not quite the same. So I I wondered, how do we know that our diamond is bright enough to sort of compete in the space? If one is vanilla, if one is beige, if one is slightly reserved, held back, then other people will go and take your opportunity. So I think that in our place as a small business, have the confidence to know what your USP is. And if you don't quite, do you know what I mean? And you need to shine that diamond a bit more, have the confidence to do that because we rarely are perfect at the beginning. I mean, actually, it'd be odd if you are. For the latest lessons, advice and insights, join me every Wednesday at midday live on my Instagram. You can also visit holly.co slash hub for my business advice hub, a free online resource thanks to Dell Technologies filled with content from myself and some of our small business community, sharing lessons from our journeys to help you navigate yours. And with a continued commitment to empower you, every week Dell are giving away one tech in a box. For a chance to win a brand new XPS laptop and a whole host of other goodies, head to holly.co slash get involved with thanks to Dell Technologies. Now let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. You trust the people in your business with your brand name to do the best job because it matters to them. Now, it's totally different models, but how have you managed to have 18, I think you've got over 2,000 stores globally. How have you managed to gain comfort? Is it all about picking the right types of people to start with? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're right. Everybody wants to know that. How do you keep the culture? How do you keep the culture the same, whatever country you're in? It's a matter of communication. 
we haven't been able to get together physically, let's face it, in the last ooh, 18 months or whatever we've had to go through. Yep. Um, but nevertheless, we are beginning now to gather together again. And it's meeting each other, the communication, um, being very firm about what our purpose is um, of running the business and who our customers are and um, how we treat our people. So it, all these sort of vision and purpose of the company and the values of the company we really live by them. It's yes. not just a, a thing yes. that's hung on the wall. So we, we really work on that. It is communication right down through everybody. I don't mean just a few people sat around at a table in an office. There again, Holly, this is something important. Let's call it retail optics because yep. it's on the high yes. street, okay? Um, you can't run retail optics from behind a desk in a head office doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter whether it's optics or whatever. From from behind a desk, you can't. It's the people out out there at the sharp end yeah, meeting customers. Meeting customers. And I think that that's just such a, an amazing lesson for all of us, Mary, But which is it starts from that brand. It starts from the purpose. It starts from the culture. And then it comes down. It infiltrates mm-hmm. people. And those people carry it for you. And you trust those people. You communicate with those people. You nurture those people. And you entrust the business. And that is how you have managed to expand spec savers like you have. And I think that that's um, it's a wonderful, wonderful picture. Just going back, I touched about the deregulation of the industry. So you mentioned that you initially set up a chain of opticians with your husband and your business partner in the in 1960s. But industry regulations were very different during that time. And it's hard to really imagine this now. But basically, advertising was outlawed and all glasses were mass produced. And the focus was very much on functionality. And that all changed in the 1980s when Thatcher's government deregulated the industry. Did you immediately see this opportunity to offer this experience? You know, are you a retailer at heart? Do you know what I mean? Because did you see, <laughs> right, people are going to, it's about fashionable, affordable eye care. Because it was very forward thinking. Yeah, that's, that's funny how that should, I, I'm going to talk a little bit about this because that's how it was. Two things, when Glasses were very expensive, and I mean expensive. People used to sort of um, make jokes about it, like, oh, I'm going to need a second mortgage to buy my glasses. We are, we are talking back in the 70s yep. now, yep. mind. Uh, so we felt that you could bring the cost down, therefore people could come to see their optician more often, because this would be unusual to some of your listeners. Back in the 60s and 70s, people would leave it five, six years before seeing their optometrist, their optician. Okay. And Margaret Thatcher said all professions, not just in optics now, could advertise. So she meant lawyers, dentists, any any profession, um, including on the optics side, were allowed to advertise. So there's fairly strict rules around it, but you can advertise. Uh, I thought, well, that sounds good. And also you could use a generic name. Up until then, you couldn't, you had to use your own name. So, you know, so it was my own name above, oh, above the I door see. of the yes. shop. Like and, a doctor um, or, or, yes. or yes. yes, or a company name, but it couldn't be anything like Specsavers. It couldn't be like that. Um, you couldn't have logos and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's all, well, this, this is pretty good. I think we can start up again here. <laughs> and uh, we'll perhaps do it a little bit differently with the joint venture partnerships and people are going to save. It's going to be not so expensive for them. Therefore, we'll call it Specsavers. So that's how all that came about. But the deregulation side meant that you could have unqualified people helping with choosing the frames and explaining about the lenses and this sort of thing. We put that in, that was fine, uh, with a big training programme of which we sort of lead on our, our learning and development is, department is very strong. Right, right around all the different countries. So uh, it was a good time to change. It must have been so exciting. It was. I'm getting excited just talking about it now. It did change optics completely. A lot of people don't realise that Specsavers, the first to use a name, the first to have a big shop front with things in the window. Oh, that was the other thing that always amused me, is you couldn't have a price sticker. You couldn't have a price on the glasses in the past. (laughs) Everything was changing then and we we sort of 
push that through as that's what we were going to do. Tell me, a lot of people listening will either be working with someone in their family or know someone who does. How has that been for your relationship? It's a big thing that you did. You've obviously, you know, been able to ride those waves together. But tell me about that. Yes, it's not for everyone, Holly. <laughs> it's very difficult to advise people on whether family should be in their business and whatever. I think if you do different things and you've got different skills, that's fine. My husband would find the properties, do the sort of legal side, maybe find the optometrist partner to go in there and I'd be looking at other staff, training them, setting the store up, telling them what to do and all this sort of thing. We're doing different things and we certainly do different things now. Let's go on to whether you bring your family into it. Yeah, I think that's yeah. an important point. If they're capable and they want to, yes, but not just because they're family. You don't just give a job to somebody in your family because they're family. They've got to be able mm. to do it and they, they've got to be want, want to do it. Mm. Um, it's as simple as that. And tell me about this. When scaling, so on the other side of scaling, is obviously the actual experience of scaling a business, you know, which isn't for everybody, but you've managed it. The way that you've managed it has been unique. I remember speaking to Chrissy Rucker, founder of The White Company, and she spoke about how she would still want to move the candles around on the shelves of all of her <laughs> shops. You know, she couldn't help it, but go in there and, you know, and you now have more than 2,000 stores. And I can imagine, you know, that's not an option for you. How was it easy to relinquish control. We've spoken about these partners that you have, but ultimately, was that a battle sometimes for yourself? No. <laughs> well, I say no, because one tends to forget these things, Holly. Yeah, you know, I know. Yes. I've been around a long time now. <laughs> I think, you know, sometimes, I'd, I'll be quite honest, I have been visiting stores and, um, and I'm just thinking of one a week ago, I went to um, Dundee and Perth and <laughs> I have a suspicion that they almost dreaded me getting there, going there and opening, oh, hi, it's me and uh, everybody on their best behaviour and, and I have a very firm suspicion and, and I'm sure they won't correct me that they'd made sure that all their frames were right and the, the signs on the yes. windows were right and the, the place got was ready. clean and tidy. I think they got ready. That being said, we have a fantastic sort of um, leadership team. And I'm sure if somebody else went in there, they probably would be doing the same for them as well. You mentioned about passion and you said that that's what you look for in your partners. And when I speak to small businesses and founders and in my own experience, probably as an entrepreneur, one of the things that, you know, if I wasn't passionate about what I did... You know, passion saves you on the dark days, doesn't it? It gets you out of bed when you can't think of, you know, the last thing you want to do is face the world. Or passion is the thing that, you know, when you you might not have all the money in the bank account, but you can be passionate to somebody and you can be enthusiastic. That is the currency. That is what you're offering. You speak about passion a lot. Running a business is not for the faint of heart, is it? It's, it's, it's a full-on experience. In all of these years that you've been in business, has passion been what's kept you going? It has to be passion. And, and we have, um, if I can explain about the partners, a lot of them are from, inter in, they're internal. So we have sort of training programmes, one called Pathway, that you can be, I can give an example, you might be a store manager, maybe, but you, you can get on that pathway to actually do that course and become a partner. Yes. I know that they have that passion as well because of the what they've been doing. Actually recruiting partners, I was going to say it was easy. It's not. My my recruitment team will say, no, it's not easy. But yeah. it's, it's easier than it has been because we like to recruit from within. So I've had people who started as a Saturday girl or boy yeah. Yeah. and they progress through different sort of stages and are now directors of, of, a, of a store somewhere, you know. That, How amazing. Um, I have got letters even recently saying, I'm so pleased. I used to be a Saturday girl and here I am now. Um, and, and it's good. And we, we do have quite recognised learning programmes. I'm take, thinking of apprentices. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a very firm believer in taking apprentices on. So we have probably have 600 or over 600 apprentices come in each year um, on, on the, the government apprentice scheme and they've all 
going through different things, finding their little niche of what they like doing and going through their different training programs. And some of those apprentices have gone on to actually become dispensing opticians because you can do that as a distance learning, got their degree. That is the one really great thing I love to hear, certainly on, on, on apprentices and, and, and um, people like that who started as a Saturday girl yeah. or boy. I, I just love it's, it. It's, it's brilliant. For you, that's your sort of golden nugget of passion. You know, for me, it's watching people build a business doing what they love. You know, I can, they, they've taken the leap and it's worked and they're changing their lives and they're able to live less ordinary lives because they had that bravery. What is that golden nugget of passion um, that's going to keep you going? And you've got to build that into your business because I can imagine without that, Mary, you know, this journey would have been, I don't want to say soulless, but it can become soulless. And it's why we see potentially some of the dinosaurs dying on the high street because there's none of those golden nuggets. You're right. You need the passion. But um, you also, one, one thing that I always stress to people, is they need to be different. You need that differentiation as well. And that goes on forever. So you don't think, oh, right, I'm, I'm different now. There's always somebody who's going to slide in under you to try and copy Okay, yes, we've got fashionable glasses at a price people can afford and they can come in whenever they want and et cetera, et cetera. But the main focus now, if I can use that word, is really on the health of the eyes. A piece of advice that you give is you need to give your customers what they want, not what we think they want. I heard you discussing this. How do you think you can step in the shoes of your customer? And I know you've actually gone undercover, haven't you? Oh, I'm yes. almost picturing you yes. in like I, I don't do that. dark glasses and a hat and a big trench coat or something. I don't do that now, Holly. <laughs> there's, there's many ways of keeping in touch with customers. And uh, I know that some of those ways can be very annoying by having your an email sent through or a text or whatever. But it, you do have to listen to customers. There's no doubt about that. There can be just a human resistance to feedback, can't there? You know, you need to get some thick skin to deal with feedback. Feedback is a great thing, but we all, you know, slightly cringe sometimes when it comes our way. I think similarly, maybe founders maybe don't ask enough questions of their customers. They, as you said, they think they know what it is. They don't know what it is that they want. Tell me about those early days of building Specsavers and what are the best ways of actually finding out what people want? Because not everybody has a network like you do, but there must be some principles that we can rely on. Right, going back to the early days, obviously I, I was out there talking to customers. Yes. I, I might be in a store, they didn't know who I was, but I'd be just talking to people. But also people working in the store, owning that store, they would know they're there, people in and out all day. So it was a matter of meeting. We used to meet quite often in different regions. Maybe we couldn't go all over. We do meet as one body, but different regions having what we would call regional meetings, listening a whole day when we would be listening to what was going on. But I think you, whatever happens, feedback is great and there'll be golden nuggets there that you will need to act on. But you have to be very firm and sure that everybody knows the purpose of the company, your vision and your values and what you stand for. The other thing, thinking of the people that are listening, focus on what you're doing. Don't be tempted to sort of spray uh, or stray from the knitting, I used to say, but um, go to spray. You think, oh, well, yeah, well, maybe I can do a bit of that. If it doesn't, you know, you should really sit into what, what you're doing because that, that way you will succeed. If you try and fiddle around with something else as well, quite often that doesn't work. So, um, yeah, stay um, in I, your lane. Yeah, stick with the knitting. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask, during this period of time that we've gone through and, you know, having 2,000 stores out there on different high streets, different places, as someone who's been on literally the high street for many, many, many years, what do you think about the future? I think it's going to change, I th and I think it needs changing. If you can look at Holland, now they've always they've had their high streets, but they've always had people living in their high streets as well. It's just generally, it's been a good mix there. Yeah. They haven't been so badly affected as maybe we have. It's more of a community and um, people living there, so they want the cafes, they want the butcher, they want the... It's worked well and they've had a lot of... They have big brands as well, but they have a lot of individual retailers. I think if the rents and rates... <laughs> 
if the cost came down in the high street, mm-hmm. it would encourage individual traders to go in and maybe some of the great big buildings that are now empty. Yes. Yeah, make them into a nice apartments. Do them up really nicely. Get people living in there. So high streets need to sort of wake up and encourage the more the community feel. I'm not talking about the big Oxford streets and things. Obviously, I'm talking about high streets in medium medium to large towns. They can become part of the community again, and as they were years and years ago. And, and I think that's how it should be. I mean, and again, I'm, I'm hopping on because I live in Guernsey. We've got a high street. And yes, there were a couple of shops closed. There was a big shoe shop closed. And in fact, um, I noticed next week opening in this great big shoe shop is a fitness um, gym. Right. Which is apparently going to be open 24 hours. I'm not quite sure how that works. I think a lot of it is virtual stuff. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing what that looks <laughs> so like. So Mary, you're not going there at 3am <laughs> to do a bit no, of a workout? I mean, no, definitely not. So you think it's about bringing that community, that heart and that soul and the experiences. So fitness to um, maybe someone living there, to individuals having stores. But you think the basics there is to encourage the cost to come down to encourage people to be able to do this without the risk because the costs are really prohibitive aren't they for so many people they they are and you must have seen this in all of the stores that you've been you know looking at that must have been seen something you've seen over the last three decades yes yeah and and, and I think um, costs will come down they've got to be realistic you you can't have something stood there empty forever Um, you know costs will come down and you know I I, I think there's hope there for a bit more variety and a bit more mixture of things really Um, and it's already starting it's already starting you can see in smaller towns where it's already starting Every week, Royal Mail helps small businesses deliver across the UK, with a staggering 74% of online shoppers more likely to use a retailer if they use them. Royal Mail helps small businesses thrive. As a central and crucial pillar within the small business community, Royal Mail continue to be dedicated to supporting our UK small business community, and therefore I'm thrilled they are giving away their ad break space to a small business founder every week, providing them with the opportunity to showcase their business to tens of thousands of listeners right here on this very podcast. If you'd like to take Royal Mail up on their generosity, then head over to at Royal Mail Business to find out more. So let's hand over to this week's Royal Mail Independent Ad Break winner. Hello, my name's Claire. I'm from Middlesbrough and I own Wish Upon a String. I've got two children, a husband and a very naughty sausage dog named Pablo. Wish Upon a String started eight years ago. It was a total maternity leave whim. I just had a really great idea for a business that I hadn't seen be executed in the gifting market. So I launched anonymously on social media because I just didn't think people would take me seriously. Wish Upon a String started as with strings tied onto motivational and inspirational cards and they're to be sent in the post when sometimes a card just isn't enough. They are for times of hope, of worry, uncertainty and now that's developed into more of a letterbox gifting business. We combine the cards with treats and gifts to send in the post. We normally send these directly to the recipients, just anyone you know facing a tough time or to let them know that you're thinking of them. I adore my business. I love spreading a little bit of love and a bit of joy through the letterbox. And if you'd like to take Royal Mail up on their generosity, then head over to at Royal Mail Business on Instagram, where you'll find a whole host of tips and advice on how to create a winning ad. Good luck. Now, let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. I wanted to talk a little bit about Specsavers as a family business. It's not something I think that everyone knows. You've never taken investment, is that right? That's right. And the company has always been completely self-funded. And now your children work in the business as well. Not the same, but my son has now trained as a barista uh-huh. at Holly & Co. Uh-huh. And, uh, and now and again, he does say, I would love, well, when he was younger, he used to always say, um, Bubba, that's what he calls me, you know, can I have a chair next to your chair? You know, and this is when he was growing up. And I said, of course you can, but you've got to earn your stripes. You know, you're not just getting a chair like you mentioned just because you're my son. But you also spoke about how it's not just your family business. 
it's your partner's families as well. Mm-hmm. You know, that actually spec savers, that's part of your values. Do you think it's been an integral part of your success, that feeling? Um, I think so. I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I've never done the analysis, but I hear many, many times of different spec saver stores where there are families within those stores. And sometimes, quite often, to be honest, if your mother or father is an optometrist, you, yes, they are doing the same and they're coming in and they're taking over the ownership when the father retires. It is a family thing. Um, as I remember what we said before, that it's not fair on all the other colleagues in that store or in the office or whatever if you just wheel in because somebody happens to be related to you. That's, that's not nice that you wouldn't do that. But we, we have a lot of um, married couples working together and their children. And it just, yeah, it happens all the time. And what's it like working with your children? Again, I, I don't really see them in the day. <laughs> um, <laughs> and my elder daughter, she's an internal auditor. So she used to work in London for Pricewaterhouse. House. My son is the um, managing director, his CEO. Um, again, he's wow. an accountant, but he has yes. worked in many of the Specsaver stores for a long time. Oh, wow. uh, he also worked in London for Deloitte's. And when he came back to Guernsey, which is obviously his home, he said he wanted to work for Specsavers and he was told quite firmly, we all have to go back to the UK and, oh, Plymouth needs somebody there for a year. You go and work in Plymouth. So him and his wife and young baby at the time had to go to Plymouth. We've got lots of people working in our office here, but they know what it's like to work in the Specsaver store because they, they do that on a regular basis. Yes. That's important. They can't, as I say, you can't sit from behind a desk and know what's going on. And my other daughter used to run Specsavers in Holland and she is doing something very similar to you, Holly. Yes, I know. Which is helping young entrepreneurs she's um, thoroughly enjoying it she's able to to do it um um, yeah so anyway (laughs) what an experience I could speak to you all day Mary I want to ask you after your 40 years in business what's some of the best pieces of advice that you can give for those listening well we've already gone through the passion bit um it is hard work so and, but don't think that you have to get big. And I, I tell loads of people that. Okay, and we talked about how many stores I got. You can be successful and do something really good and make a difference and, and have a passion for something and still make your living. Let's face it, you can't not make a living. You've got to pay your mortgage or whatever. You've got to make a living. Um, but you don't have to be big. You just have to be different and also make a difference to people. Whatever you're doing is different and making a difference and have the passion. Where possible, involve the family. And that doesn't mean that they've got to come and work for you because if you've got a passion and it's, it's taking all your time up, they've got to know what you're doing. So keep... Bring them on the journey with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, let them help. I mean, even when my children were tiny tots, they knew optics and opticians inside out from the day they were born, basically, (laughs) long before Specsavers. So, um, yes, involve the family, not necessarily employ them, but involve them. Don't try and be... I always get worried when I see someone with a big office and expensive this and that and whatever and big cars. You don't need that to start off with. It doesn't make a difference to your company, you know, if the size of the car you've got or the size of the house or the the, The the, the office office or or the desk you've got. It doesn't make any difference. It's what you do and and how that's perceived by your customers, not all the razzmatazz that you, you want to show off yeah. what you've got, you know? And that's what I'm trying it's, to say. It's, yeah, it's, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's less the length of your peacock feathers and how big you can <laughs> oh, that's lovely. push oh, them I'm out. To, you know? I'm going to remember yeah, that. Thank it's you. more the colour. It's more the colour and what you do and how you affect people, isn't it? And and I think that that's a notion of the past and potentially, you know, what I, I'm desperate to do is try and, you know, one of my life's work, I think, is to try and change that perception. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be small and nimble and make a profound difference and be successful, whatever success is 
to you, how you have how you've measured your success. Mm. If that is maybe sending your child to a school that you want yeah. to, or you know, maybe it's um, having one family holiday, or is it that you can give up your job that you don't like anymore? And you know, it's all about these things. And I think that is the change that we're trying to potentially right now let everyone know that we we need to get on board with it and it's not the size of anything that matters no, anymore no, I'm, <laughs> wink wink well done as well i mean it's, it's sad that we've got to keep saying how many stores and how many countries spec savers is in but, but i only say that mary because i'm so proud of a of a woman founder with such values with such it's a great inspiration for us that so i'm i less reel off the numbers in that way. I reel off in congratulating you that you've been able to do something because us women need people like you to look up mm. to. And I think the, the other thing is be yourself. Yes. Be yourself. I can never be anything different to what I am, you know, so that uh, you can't change yourself. I dread to think how many people who tried to send me to lessons for public speaking and all this sort of thing. I said, well, it's, it's just me. I'm, I don't, I'm too old to learn now. I'm just going to be who I am. <laughs> no, seriously, though, be yourself. Except don't don't try and be something you're not. Just be yourself, oh. yeah. Well, I'm absolutely so gloriously happy that you are exactly who you are and I got to speak to you today. Um, at the end of these interviews, Mary, I use the analogy that running your own business, and I'm sure you you understand this, it's like being on an epic roller coaster. Now, you know, if you were on this roller coaster with your gorgeous Specsaver glasses on, um, what would you have said was one of your biggest lows on this journey? Yes, you, you did warn me, Holly. I'm going to own up to say what was the biggest low. You know, there probably over the years have been little lows, but I think you, you can turn them into challenges. Any low, it's a challenge. So I wouldn't say there's been any low where I've just sort of thought, oh, you know, it's, it's been a challenge. You think, oh, well, hang on, this has happened. Well, that's happened. Right, well, let's see what we can do and go on and choose it as a challenge. If you want to know the biggest low, it was probably when all retail stopped 18 months ago. Yes. And there's no money coming in. And you've got, I'm thinking of 35,000 staff, all, you know, okay, they're joint venture partnerships, separate companies, but they're yeah. only paying. Um, all these sort of things. Oh, heck, what's going to happen? Even our manufacturing, we have... Uh, big manufacturing plants in, in, in the Midlands, in Kidderminster, that make all the lenses and, and the, you know, all the, everything to do with optics. And um, think, oh, they're all stopped as well. Manufacturing plants in Australia, the shops there, Northern Europe. So that was the biggest low. But nevertheless, we had a very good team came together and said, right, this is what we're going to do. Luckily, we were able to open for essential care. I remember I said about the health of the eyes. Yes. So we were able to sort of keep going. People broke their glasses. They needed to see. One thing we haven't touched on, they, they would break their hearing aids because we do. We all have lots of audiology partners in every store as well. Yes. Do you know, people wearing masks with hearing aids, took their masks off, hearing aids fell out and got broken on the floor. Um, you'd be amazed how many broken hearing aids that uh, we had to deal with, the audiologists. All these stories coming out of the pandemic that you don't quite realise. And Mary, tell me, conversely, a greatest high. Um, you've obviously felt from what I'm saying that every day is a high. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, but I have to say... It was meeting the Queen and being made a dame. I was hoping you were going to say that. <laughs> I was hoping, because I don't get to interview many dames here, Mary. And, you know, I was going to say, was it that moment? Oh, it was. I was, oh, well, indescribable. It was a high and indescribable. I, I, I mean, there's no words. I... Um, we go back to my father, my parents. I only wish they'd still been around and they could have seen it. I, I just don't know what they would have said. They would have been so proud of you. I use that as a high. I have yeah. to use that as a, pers a personal well, high. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> becoming a dame, hey? I, it's, not, it's not bad, Mary. It is not bad. I have just loved every single second of this, but it's that time of the podcast where I'm going to ask if you would share a letter to your younger self. Uh, I don't know what you've written, but it's, it's a time where I hand over to you. Right. Dear Mary, well, it's probably a good thing that we can't see into the future. That way, we can't manipulate what path our lives will take. That being said, it was the best decision for you to listen to Dad. 
He was an exceptional man who started life in Lancashire working in the cotton mills and ended up his life as an optometrist. (laughs) And he was a chimney sweep and a photographer and even a furniture remover with the Osier brothers in Guernsey. Both mum and dad had difficult times, but loved their family, friends and everyone they met. And this is going to stand you well all your life. Remember when you read The Water Babies by Charles Kingsley with Mrs. Do As You Would Be Done By? What a great way to live your life by treating others as you would wish to be treated yourself. This would be adopted as the values of my company, but remember, it's difficult to do day in, day out, all year round. But do try, because looking after each other is what life is all about. And in my case, it turned out to be looking after people's vision and their hearing. There will be things you have to stick at, like doing three science A-levels, including physics. Yes... Reading books and cuddling babies might have been your desire, but being a librarian or a maternity nurse is not going to be your main aim in life. Following into your dad's footsteps into visual science and optics will prove really good for you. And also, because of that, you're going to meet your perfect husband, who will become your dearest friend and partner for nearly 57 years. I have to say that luck does come into your life. Or maybe let's call it destiny. Never be afraid of hard work because nothing will succeed without that. But do have an overriding passion for whatever you do. Besides hard work, you have to have a staying power. Because if you believe something is the right thing to do, then be patient. Dig your heels in until the end goal is reached. It's all about helping others, whether that's helping them to see or hear, or helping charities in the community. Now I stress to you never to forget your roots. Yes, you're going to have a lovely home and a lovely family, three children and seven grandchildren, but remember, not everyone is so lucky. At the end of the day, we are all the same really, part of our unbelievable human race, so do what you can to help others. Now, it's important to look after your health and well-being. Maybe continue in the singing that you did at school and join a choir like Festiva to link your love of singing with your Christian beliefs. I assure you, it's very good for relaxing and giving your mind a spring clean from business. So much goes on in your life and you're going to be busy all the time. So be organised and tidy, as that will stand you in good steed in your work in life when you're going to be keeping many balls in the air. And as you get older, try very hard to block your diary with time for yourself. That's not being selfish, but just make an allowance for Anna Domini. (laughs) So Mary, work hard, play hard, and be friends with everyone you meet. <laughs> Such a nice lady, Mary. <laughs> oh, what a lift for my day. What an honour to hear that letter. Honestly, you you know, us women, us ladies who run businesses, we, we don't have many people to look up to. And um, I'm super happy that you're one of those ladies because I know for my whole career, I've um, listened and watched you and it's been phenomenal. I love that you talk about staying power. Keep trucking on, isn't it? Keep going. (laughs) And one day it will all turn out okay. But this has just been a beautiful moment. And thank you for everything you've done for us women, Mary. Um, thank you, Holly. I've, my first podcast, I really enjoyed it. Thank what an honour. I can't even believe that. That is just going to be such a great thing to tell the team. Bless you, Mary, and thank you. And thank you, Holly. Thank you. Before you go, don't forget to head to holly.co to be in with a chance of winning a brand new Dell Technologies XPS laptop and a whole host of other goodies. And if you've enjoyed this episode, if it's helped you along your journey or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? 
Your support means the world to me. It really does spread the word and will help inspire even more people to build a life they love. And if you want to hear all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co.